With a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George, welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Coming up on today's show, we have a couple of great guests. Samantha Jones from the Lifeline program, which uh, is available through Northern Health, and singer-songwriter William Kuklis. That's uh, later in the hour, but to start today's program, here is Tuesday morning's front burner from CBC News. Hi, I'm Josh Block. Last night, Finance Minister Bill Morneau called a snap press conference. As we move to the next phase of our fight against the pandemic and pave the road towards economic recovery, we must recognize that this process will take many years. Within the hour, he resigned both his cabinet position and his seat in parliament. It's the right time for a new finance minister to deliver on that plan for the long and challenging road ahead. That's why I'll be stepping down as finance minister and as member of parliament for Toronto Centre. This after a much speculated on meeting with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau earlier in the day. So we called Vashi Kapelos, host of CBC's Power in Politics. This is Frontburner. Hello, Vashi. Hi. So we're taping this Monday night, 20 minutes before 7 p.m. This alert goes out. The finance minister, Bill Morneau, is holding a snap press conference. What did you think when you saw that? So I immediately thought he's resigning, and I'll tell you why. I spent the day essentially contacting everybody I could who worked in his office or who worked in the prime minister's office to try and figure out how this meeting between the two of them that was supposed to supposedly have taken place today, how it was going, whether there was going to be news out of it, whatever, et cetera, et cetera. Zero responses. And like, not not that I'm anyone special, but normally they write back and say, oh, we'll get back to you in an hour or we can't or whatever. None of that. It was radio silence. My colleagues were kind of undergoing the same thing. So I knew something was going to happen. And then when, when I saw it was going to be him by himself delivering a press conference, I was pretty sure it was going to be a resignation. Right. And, and lo and behold, he comes out. He resigns. Tell me about the reasons that he gave. So this is where it all gets, I think, from my perspective, fascinating. Uh, you know, he, the reasons that he set out, we can go over first and then we can get into kind of what might have been happening behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. He says, he comes out and he says, you know what, I, I walked into the prime minister's office today and I told him I'm not planning to run again. It's never been my plan to run for more than two federal election cycles. The person who should be finance minister, the appropriate, that's the word he kept using, the appropriate person to be finance minister right now is not someone who's going to be leaving government. It's been a real privilege to have this job. But like any job, there's a time where you're the appropriate person in the role and the time where you have to decide when you're not the appropriate person in the role. Since I'm not running again, and since I expect that we will have a long and and challenging recovery, I think it's important that the Prime Minister has by his side a finance minister who has that longer-term vision. And so that's what led me to conclude during this time period that it's appropriate for me to step down. And oh, by the way, I'm not going to give up public service. I'm actually going to run to be the Secretary General of the OECD, which is like an organization of, of countries that coordinate on uh, on the economy, on economic issues. So right. he's leaving to do that uh, because he felt like, hey, this isn't, you know, I'm not, I'm leaving politics, so I shouldn't be in this really important role. I'll be spending the next few weeks preparing for this bid. We've always said that Canada and the world 
needs more Canadian leadership, not less. Right. It kind of felt like he didn't really pull back the curtain on what might have actually been no. going on behind the scenes here. Zero curtain pulling. <laughs> None happened whatsoever. I, my, my hopes weren't high, but, you know, there was not a lot of not a lot of background info given out there. So well, let's talk about what, you know, there's obviously been a lot of reporting, a lot of leaks about some of the mm. tension between uh, Morneau and Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. So what do we know about some of the reasons that led up to this resignation? For sure. Well, it's been almost, I would say, a month of speculation, pretty specific speculation about whether or not Bill Morneau was going to resign. And I'll, and I'll take you right to the beginning, which is uh, the finance committee the We Charity controversy, I think the last time you and I spoke was around the Prime Minister's testimony. The week before that, the Finance Minister testified, and he had this big revelation in his opening remarks, uh, in which he told MPs there that he took a trip with We Charity to go, you know, granted he gives a lot of money, he is money, and his family's money had built a school, they were, they took this trip to go see the, the products of what they had uh, donated, except for the trip was worth $41,000, and he realized he had never paid them back. And so he cut a check the morning of his appearance before the Finance Committee. I expected and always had intended to pay the full cost of these trips. And it was my responsibility to make sure that was done. Not doing so, even unknowingly, is not appropriate. I want to apologize for this error on my part. Now, m people that I know who work for the Prime Minister and even some of the MPs on that committee have told me, the Liberals, that they didn't know that until that day. Like, it was very quickly before he said it publicly, at least for the Prime Minister, that the Prime Minister found out and the MPs found out in the committee. Canadians will find it impossible to believe that this organization showered you with $41,000 worth of luxury and accommodations and that you didn't know about it. We paid for your travel. That has the apparent uh, perception of attempting to buy political influence. So that kind of set the stage, I think, for what we saw transpire over the next couple of weeks, which ended up being these series of leaks to various outlets that kind of decided to characterize the relationship between the finance minister and the prime minister as faltering, kind of like a, a deepening rift ever since mm -hmm. that. But instead of focusing on those issues, like the ethics issues or the, the controversy around that, it was all about, well, they're not on the same page when it comes to the economic recovery or the size of the deficit or the green plan and how much we should spend on it going forward. So those issues, look, I'll be honest, I had never heard in a, in a punctuated way prior to last week that there were these deep rifts between the finance minister and, and prime minister, nothing out of the ordinary. So I think clearly there was something at, at play, something at work between the two camps and there were leaks and there was a narrative getting put out there. Uh, but it all started, really, I think, to be honest with what happened before the Finance Committee around the WE stuff. Hmm. I want to go back for a second. I mean, Bill Morneau came from the business world. He was this Bay Street guy. Can you just remind us a little bit more of, of who he is and, and his political reputation coming into this position as finance minister? Yeah, I think it's a good question. And it's kind of really important to understanding why this is a pretty significant day. I think it's significant for the government. So... Bill Morneau ran in a pretty safe uh, riding in, in downtown Toronto. He won with a big chunk of the vote. He left a very lucrative career. Like, if you hear the name Morneau, you might not know who the finance minister is, but I'm pretty sure the company you work for gets their pensions through Morneau Chappelle, right? It's a right. huge company. His family is an incredibly wealthy one. His wife's family, the McCain family, 
uh, is also very wealthy. So he knows Bay Street well. He knows business very well. And he had a, a very big name in the business world in Canada. So he left that, joined the Liberals at a time when, if we think back to late 2014, early 2015, the Liberals were in third place. Justin Trudeau was polling well behind Thomas Mulcair, if you could think back to that. So hmm. there, there wasn't it wasn't like they were the next government in waiting. He, he definitely believed in a lot of what the, the now Prime Minister Justin Trudeau was talking about at the time and the Liberals were putting forward. And he decided to leave that very lucrative uh, life and career and, and head into politics. I think that it's important to know that because that sort of juxtaposition, uh, that characterization, really did inform his both his successes and his failures in the role of finance minister. He was still well-regarded among the business community for the most part in, in Bay Street, right? It gave the government, this government specifically, a lot of credibility in areas that they might be vulnerable in. At the same time, his political acumen or know-how certainly was a vulnerability for him and at times for the government through all of this. Like, to give you just a practical example, if I were, you know, running for politics and I took a $41,000 trip to an organization that my daughter then worked for, whom then I gave a big government contract to, I would probably go, oh, maybe I shouldn't do that. Like, why, <laughs> you know, have, have I paid that money back? Did I do, you know, did I cross my T's and dot my I's? Like, those things would probably occur to, to you and I especially if you are in politics, right, where you know perception is, is everything and the opposition is scrutinizing you day in and day out. But for some reason, and this wasn't the first time, uh, that didn't happen with Bill Murnau. And that's kind of a reflection of the lack of length of time that, that he's been in politics, I think, to, to a certain degree. And it ended up being part of, it looks like, his downfall. That's segment one of Tuesday morning's front burner from CBC News. We have segment two coming up in a moment here on 93.1 CFIS FM. You're listening to After Nine. There isn't much that a country singer hasn't covered in a song. If you want to hear songs about new love, lost love, drinking, fighting, cowboys, trains, traveling, and everything else, then tune into the Country Cavalcade every Wednesday, 6 to 8, where I cover music from the 20s to the 90s, as well as today's traditional independent artists. You'll hear from such greats as the Carter family, Johnny Horton, Vern Charlton, and so much more. The Country Cavalcade, Wednesday, 6 to 8, only here on 93.1 CFIS-FM with me, Corey Walker. One of the many services suspended due to COVID-19 has now returned. Drop-off customer recycling is once again available at London Drugs. Beverage containers, soft plastics, flexible plastics, and styrofoam are once again returnable to London Drugs. Local outlets may have restrictions on daily customer quantities and may have to temporarily stop taking returns from time to time. But recycling is back at London Drugs. For more information about the London Drugs Sustainability Initiatives and what can be recycled at stores, visit greendeal.ca. The new circulation area at the Prince George Public Library is now open. Physical distancing protocols are in place with a limit of 20 visitors at a time. Services are also currently limited to borrowing and dropping off library materials, and access is only available through the Civic Centre Rotunda. Be sure to check out the library's weekly programs, available online at pgpl.ca. That's your public library, now open for limited service from 10 to 6, Monday through Saturday in the Canada Game. Plaza. 
Forecast from Environment Canada. Rain ending this morning, then cloudy. A few showers with thunderstorms this afternoon. Winds in the south at 20 with gusts to 70 near thunderstorms. A high of 21 to the high UV index. A few showers this evening with the risk of thunderstorms. Winds in the south at 20, gusting to 70 near thunderstorms. A low of 10. For Friday, cloudy with showers and the risk of thunderstorm in the afternoon. A high of 18. Keeping you up to date on current news and events in and around Prince George. This is After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. And now the second part of Tuesday morning's front burner from CBC News. Do we have a sense of whether, in fact, he was pushed out or resigned in this case? Well, I, I can tell you that I have been working the phone ever since uh, I went off the air, and, and this ended a, a little while ago, and trying to get a sense of whether or not, I mean, look, he was asked plain out, did the Prime Minister push you out? Did he make you quit? basically, which is, of course, uh, hearkening back to lots of other political stories in this country and south of the border where you quote-unquote resign, which really right. means that, you know, the president or the prime minister told you to. Can you clarify, were you asked by the prime minister to resign? Uh, no. Uh, Tonda, this morning I went to the prime minister and I tendered my resignation. Uh, obviously, I'm looking forward to uh, a next set of opportunities, and I'm... Uh, keenly interested in how the Prime Minister will continue the work we've done together over these last five years. He was pretty adamant that, that no, the Prime Minister didn't ask him. And that certainly matches up with what we heard from the Prime Minister's office last week, which was a statement that talked about uh, the, the Finance Minister having the Prime Minister's full confidence. What it doesn't match up with is all that reporting that I was telling you about around these big policy differences that they have and how they're, they're kind of not operating... Uh, simpatico right now or, or for a while like if that stuff was leaked from camps that are close to the prime minister it becomes hard to think this is as altruistic as it was conveyed during the press conference with the finance minister rather the former finance minister i should say right like it just doesn't something in your gut goes really this is just about you wanting to move on in the middle of a pandemic when you hold probably the most important portfolio or was this about something more that transpired over the last few weeks. It ha there has to be a bit of, of each there. I think some Ottawa types uh, especially were interested that this news came out that Trudeau had brought former Bank of Canada and Bank of England Governor Mark Carney on as this informal advisor. Yeah, and here's this other, I was thinking today, like, last week when this came out, I was on vacation, but I was reading all of this stuff, and I read all the statements from the Prime Minister's office. It was really downplayed, right? It's like, yeah, he's here. He's kind of going to help us in this minor advisory role. It's not a big deal. Now, today, as I'm seeing all this transpire with the finance minister, I, I think back and I'm like, oh, that was actually a, a pretty big deal, right? Because Mark Hardy is uh, of a certain stature. He knows a lot about the economy, clearly. And th there has been speculation for years that he would not only be a prominent liberal or a prominent minister, but could, in fact, at one day perhaps even replace the prime minister. Like, he would be a, a real kind of coup or catch for the liberals. So the fact that in the midst of all these leaks about tensions between the finance minister and the prime minister, in swoops Mark Carney to do some advising on the side. <laughs> like, it's, it's now I look back and I'm like, wait a second, Matthew, you should have picked up on <laughs> this right. is probably a bigger deal. Like, it just, again, it's that feeling of like, this doesn't all add up. How likely do you think it is that he may, in fact, replace Morneau in this position? 
So that's a great question. And I think that's where the speculation heads at this point, right? Like, what happens now? Is there a Mm -hmm. cabinet shuffle? Is Mark Carney sort of parachuted in? You don't have to be a sitting MP to be a cabinet minister. It's, It's conventional that that is the case. Most of the time it is, but it's not unheard of that you don't have to be. So it's certainly an option. I don't know how likely an option it is. I mean, yes, he has uh, obviously the resume for it, but I think at the same time, uh, you know, I think a lot of liberals so far who I've heard from tonight are interested in uh, the prime minister picking a woman, for example, or maybe looking within cabinet. There's always the the possibility of Christian Freeland. Her name gets floated around anytime there's something high profile or a high profile position becomes available. So I think it's so hard to judge right now. And maybe in a few hours, we'll have <laughs> some more some more clarity because things seem to change pretty fast. But I just don't know if it's, I don't think it's necessarily a slam dunk for him despite his resume and despite clearly the, the positive relationship he has with the prime minister. I'm curious to know what this means for Trudeau and for the Liberal Party. I mean, losing a finance minister, like this finance minister, in the middle of the biggest economic crisis in in my lifetime, at least, what kind of message does that send? Yeah, there's a couple ways to look at it. First of all, I think from the perspective of Bill Morneau being part of the We Charity controversy and kind of moving on from that or trying to move on from it and turn the page, this might, in fact help the government do that. Uh, this has been, you know, Bill Morneau's actions throughout this have been a focus of the opposition parties. They're the ones who initially, right off the bat, started calling for uh, the minister to resign. And so, in a way, like, does this take away a bit of the oxygen from that, some of the fuel for the criticism of the prime minister around that? Probably it does. Uh, on the other hand, you know, as you sort of really uh, excellently laid out, this is also the biggest financial crisis slash response slash recovery in my lifetime for a finance minister to leave in the middle of all of that certainly presents i think maybe a challenge and possibly an opportunity for the government right um i think insofar as there's a challenge look any kind of upheaval in the middle of all this or uncertainty is uh maybe not the best thing for all parties involved at the same time, if in fact the government is, as, as sort of we have been taught, hearing in Ottawa, planning to reset in the fall and, uh, you know, maybe do a throne speech or maybe prorogue for a bit or some, some sort of thing, something that signifies a bit of a shift, this is one way to help amplify that, uh, that impression, right? Mm. And so if the next phase of this is the recovery and this leads them to an eventual election maybe early next year then maybe you want to get this kind of stuff out of the way so you can put yourself on better footing going into that period. I can't predict how, how you know, which of these scenarios kind of plays out because I think it depends on who they pick next and what they do with the file and what that recovery, if it, hopefully there is one, ends up looking like. Uh, but, but I do think there, you know, there are challenges and opportunities with it all. Vashi, thank you so much for speaking with me, and I will be speaking to you soon on Monday's show about the new leader of the Conservative Party. Can't get rid of me. Looking forward to it.
all for today. Thanks for listening to Frontburner. On 93.1 CFIS-FM, that is Tuesday morning's Frontburner from CBC News. You can also catch Frontburner on the CBC Listen app or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Stay tuned. After 9 returns in a moment. Creativity camps are on at Two Rivers Gallery. Children aged 6 to 13 will love these week-long camps featuring everything from nature art and futuristic fun to superheroes and the art of imagineering. Camps run through September 4th with each limited to 10 participants with health and safety guidelines in place to protect children. For more information and registration, visit tworiversgallery.ca. Summer Creativity Camps through September 4th at Two Rivers Gallery, where creativity flows at tworiversgallery.ca. Hope for Women Pregnancy Services is holding a grand opening and open house Friday, September 11th from 5 to 7 and Saturday, September 12th from noon to 3. Due to COVID-19 restrictions, open house tours will be scheduled. Reserve your time by calling 250-562-4464 or by emailing princegeorge at hopeforwomen.ca. The Prince George Hope for Women Pregnancy Services Center open house and grand opening Friday, September 11th and Saturday, September 12th in the Parkwood Place Mall. Disinformation is spreading alongside the new coronavirus. To counter this, it is important to share information that comes from reliable sources, such as health authorities and the World Health Organization. During the COVID-19 outbreak, only trust official information sources and credible media outlets. Do not share unverified information. This is a message from UNESCO. Canada Helps, in partnership with Imagine Canada, has launched the Charity Adaptation and Innovation Fund. With the majority of charities negatively impacted by COVID-19 and most not expecting to survive beyond six months, the Charity Adaptation and Innovation Fund has been set up to support charities through these challenging times. To find online resources for your organization, visit imaginecanada.ca. To help your favorite charities survive, visit Canada's best destination for donating and fundraising online, canadahelps.com. It's after 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. And now Sharon Hurd in conversation with Samantha Jones from Northern Health and their Lifeline program. I look after, I'm the coordinator for the Lifeline program in the Northern Health area. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm based in Prince George, but we look after most of Northern Health. Um, and it's we use Philips Lifeline equipment and their monitoring. So I kind of do the coordination in terms of getting people set up, either physically doing the installations or sending equipment out, looking after uh, the sign-up, the care plans, and the payments and things like that. But the actual equipment itself is Philips Lifeline. And they are the market leaders in terms of personal emergency response system is what it's called. So it's very basically a two-piece system. There's a button that you push if you need help. And there's a, a, we call it a communicator. It's a speaker that we plug into your phone line. Mm-hmm. And that's how the Philips monitoring staff would be able to speak to you if you had pushed a button and needed help. So like the... TV ad of old, help, I've fallen and I can't get up, is it, basically that idea. If you need help, you're able to push a button, signal gets sent through to the communicator, the Lifeline staff answer the call. In the background, they would have your information, so they know who you are and where you are. 
who your family are or whoever you put on the list to be called neighbors, friends, um, any medical concerns, any allergies you might have, and they're able to just get help for you from there. So that's it in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. Um, different types of buttons that you could choose. You can wear one on your wrist. You can have one on your neck. Uh, some people are concerned about falling. That is, is one of the main reasons people would choose to have or to get some kind of uh, personal response system for themselves is if they think that they, they might be able you know, they might have a fall, nobody's checking in on them for a while, they might not be able to get to the phone to call for help. So that is one of the main reasons people do choose to go with the system. And then uh, Lifeline Phillips have um, come up with a, it's called the auto alert button. So that is the most popular at the moment. Mm-hmm. You wear it on neck, and um, if you were to have a fall and not be able to push the button, it's awful to talk about, but something could happen, and you wouldn't be able to push the button for help, it's able to send a signal. It will detect that there's been a fall, mm-hmm. and it will send a signal through without you having to push the button. And the response is a little bit different depending on what has happened. If you've pushed your button, the Lifeline staff, they will always try and speak to you first. If they can't hear you, they'll phone your family, friends, whoever we have on the list. Mm -hmm. If they know that you've had a fall, it's a different type of signal. And if you don't respond when they try and speak with you, then they actually would call um, emergency services first. The the idea being if you've had a fall and you're not responding, they want to make sure they get help to you as quickly as possible. So can I wear it in the shower? Absolutely, yes. So all of the buttons are 100% waterproof uh, that you can sit in a bath with it on. It's absolutely fine. So shower, bath, wear it all the time. And out Uh, in the garden, like how far? It's about 400 feet range approximately. depends on building materials, but from where it's plugged in. So at the moment, we, we have a home base. System. So it's plugged in through a phone line, through a landline, and it's about 400 feet from where that's plugged in. Mm-hmm. So in a regular city, you know, lot, yeah, it's yeah. going to cover your house, driveway, outside, backyard, that kind of area. Now, they're not going to hear you. Mm-hmm. If you fall outside, you push your button. And, uh, you know, unless it was a very, very quiet day and all your windows were wide open, <laughs> chances are they might not hear, but they have to get help. So they call it their closed loop protocol, and it just means if they receive a signal for help, they're not allowed to end the call until they know that somebody has physically been there and checked on you, and they know what the outcome of that is. So if you're outside, you push a button, you'll be, you might be able to hear the machine talking on the inside of the house. They mm-hmm. might not hear you, but... Somebody's coming. Somebody's going to come and help you. Oh, that's good to know. Can couples, like if one couple is impaired but the other person's okay, that one person isn't going to be totally responsible. They can go out shopping and do whatever. Absolutely. Because, again, say say the one, um, the wife or husband, the spouse has a cell phone. They could put the cell phone on the list and they could go out to the shops and Lifeline could call them if something goes wrong. But maybe number two on the list is the next door neighbor and they're actually closer. So mm-hmm. it's um, Lifeline are very flexible. We can basically do what people would like us to do in terms of their response plan. We can have as few or as many names. It's always good to have at least a couple. It's uh, waterproof, but it's a neck cord, and like you said, it can be a wrist cord as well. You're 24-7, I understand. Absolutely. Yeah. You don't have to be actually disabled to have it, do you? No, 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 no. no. And, in fact, I will say it's it's one of the things that 
sounds like it's a really good idea after something has already happened. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. it is the way of the world. A lot of the time, I'm introduced and I have referrals because somebody has had a fall and something has happened mm-hmm. and they don't want to be there again. So yeah. in an ideal world, people would have it, be signed up to it, be wearing it before they ever needed it. But anybody, we don't need a referral. Anybody can sign up. Um, it's just really to know that if something were to happen, if so if you spend any time by yourself, if something were to happen, you have a way of getting help quickly. Carrying a cell phone or a cordless phone is a great yes. thing to do as well. Mm-hmm. But it's it's obviously not quite as easy as, as a push of a button. And the big benefit is, of course, that Philip have your information and they're able to make the call to uh, emergency services if they need to and then they can fill them in so how to get into your house we mm-hmm. don't insist on it but sometimes people do put a lockbox somewhere mm-hmm. with a code mm-hmm. we can give Philip that code it's all kept confidential it just means that the ambulance aren't going to break down your door to get to you so yeah that's um, good so you know one of the benefits is that we have all the names and phone numbers of of your next of kin on file so if there's and their daughter in a different province and they're not able to get there and find out what's going on or help you but they would like to be informed then Lifeline are going to make those phone calls so it just makes things a lot easier for for people if something has happened. And I was just thinking it would be something as a safety thing for people who worked in um, maybe unsafe places. There are some instances where we do have Lifeline in place in different situations mm-hmm. where it might not necessarily be, you know, an older person at home. There's, it is being used slightly differently. Yeah. So anybody that might need to get help quickly is mm-hmm. a good option for them. Yeah. Um, do you have to have a contract or can it be month to month? Month to month. There's no minimum contract. So um, we don't require that you sign up for 12 months or anything like that. We just go month to month and you can cancel at any time. And that's $45 a month? For the standard Lifeline, it's 45 For the Lifeline with the fall detector, the auto alert, that one is 55 Okay. And uh, like I said, we go month to month. We can set up direct payments. We can send bills if you want to do it online. We can, and however it works. Uh, and I will also mention as well, if finances are a concern, uh, Northern Health does offer some subsidies. So it's one of the programs we would obviously always rather somebody, if they were in need and Lifeline was a good idea for them, we would rather that they had it than not. <laughs> And and so there's not a big um, deal about setup. I think it's more or less having a plug-in for your phone. That's right. Uh, all the information that you need can be taken over the phone, and then they just come in, and it only takes a short while to install everything. Is that true? That's right. Yeah. Just because of um, current situation, um, for a while we were only doing remote setup, so it was just either the uh, equipment was was sent out by courier or dropped off with the instructions. Uh, now I am going out, but we're we're not doing big, long uh, visits. We know people would rather we're not mm-hmm. in their homes for too long. So mm-hmm. uh, we're doing it all very, all very safe and, you know, taking care of uh, 
and usual precautions, but it's not a complicated installation. The, the key is to get as much information over the phone, so if somebody were interested, kind of have that to hand, and then it's just a quick visit to come out, plug it in, test it, make sure everything's working and everybody's happy with how it works, but it's not a big deal. And there's not, it depends on the time of year and holidays, but um, it, there's usually not... A, a long wait either. Usually we can and, get out within a day or two. And I think the last thing is, does it interfere with your telephone? It does not. Oh. So we don't need to have a separate jack for the lifeline. We would plug that in and um, and then we plug the phone into the back of the unit. So we're just adding it to the line. Right. Uh, However, it doesn't interfere with the phone, but they're both going to use the line. So if the phone line is busy, the lifeline won't work. Okay. Um, so that's just something to... Yeah. And that would all be explained when you do the, the hookup and the setup and everything. Ah, You'd right. sit and yeah. tell everybody how to use it. And then um, do people phone you, Samantha, to set up a, just a phone call and ask some questions? Absolutely, yeah. And yeah. uh, it's 565-7498? Yeah. And um, just because I am going out and about a little bit more now, uh, if I'm not at my desk, please leave a message. I will call you back. On 93.1 CFIS-FM, that is Samantha Jones from Northern Health's Lifeline. And a discussion she had with Sharon Hurd has heard uh, originally on our Tuesday afternoon program, Senior Moments, here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. When we return, it is William Kuklis in discussion with Jan Hall in a moment here on After 9. Prince George has a new dance society. Method Dance is a new non-profit performing arts organization providing a platform for contemporary dancers and choreographers. The company is currently comprised of four principal dancers, three core dancers, and two apprentices. Artistic director Shelby Richardson and her crew are excited to inspire and help local talent excel. For more information on Method Dance Society's projects, training, and community engagement, visit methoddance.ca. Sponsorship opportunities are also available. Method Dance Society. Visit them online at methoddance.ca. The provincial government has allocated $3.5 million in emergency financial assistance for post-secondary students in B.C. The funding is to support domestic students experiencing an unexpected financial emergency that may affect their ability to finish their studies and handle expenses. This non-repayable assistance is to supplement existing student emergency financial funds. Local post-secondary students can access full details of the program and application process through the services link at cnc.bc. Or unbc.ca. The Red Chamber Cultural Society is presenting a series of online sessions for female music artists. The 2020 Emergence Mentorship Program is led by women performers covering the skills and knowledge needed for a successful career. Don't miss the next in this free series of interactive workshops, Finding My Audience, A Stage Awaits, 10 a.m. Saturday, August 29th. To register or for more information, visit emergencebc.org. The 2020 Emergence Mentorship Workshops through November 28th at emergencebc.org. Forecast from Environment Canada. Rain ending this morning, then cloudy. A few showers with thunderstorms this afternoon. Winds in the south at 20 with gusts to 70 near thunderstorms. A high of 21 to the high UV index. A few showers this evening with the risk of thunderstorms. Winds in the south at 20, gusting to 7 near thunderstorms, and a low of 10. For Friday, cloudy with showers and the risk of a thunderstorm in the afternoon. A high of 18. 
featuring the people who make things happen in Prince George. You're listening to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Twice a week we carry a nationally syndicated program called Folk Roots Radio here on 93.1. And on Monday evening's program, the special guest was Prince George's very own singer-songwriter, William Kuklas. I love being able to talk to people who who do other things. And, you know, as well as being a musician, you're also an actor. So I'm looking forward to digging into that as well. But we are in these strange times. It's COVID times, pandemic times, whatever you want to call it. Uh, You are, I think, uh, living up in Prince George in British Columbia. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. So I'm currently in Prince George, BC, and I've, I've lived up here for about 10 years now. So tell us a little bit about how you got into music. I'm always fascinated about, you know, what makes people want to make music a big part of their lives. Right. So well, it's, a, it's a really long story. I mean, for me, uh, as a kid, you know, I always grew up listening to music. Uh, my mother was really into music. Like she wasn't a musician, but she'd have a, she loved music, and we had a large record collections and things like that. So, I mean, I can remember myself sitting in the living room of our house playing playing records, uh, listening to tons of Motown and like the 50s and 60s tunes. As a kid, you know, I was put into choirs and things like that. So I was always musical. How I became a musician uh, sort of comes after becoming an actor. Like I was an actor first. Um, so through my high school years, it sort of became, I was an actor, did a lot of theater work and um, sort of met my theater geek friends. So all of our high school friends were all theater geeks and we hang out together and you know we are all all of us were into into music and different kinds of tunes and, and uh, so we said hey let's start a band because why not I taught myself how to play guitar when i was 19 years old and we just started writing music and i was on a band called cultured cowboy which was uh in the vancouver vancouver area and we, we had some really really good success actually like we were playing shows for like at vancouver sun run and things like that and that's like fifty thousand people right like we were having Really good shows, big shows, and we're and all over the place. Anyway, that basically hooked us, right? So all of that band are still musicians in different rights. I'm just not, you know, down there. And we get together when I get down to the coast. We still get together and play. How I got up here was was through acting, as I was so I was down in Vancouver, um, and then I got a gig up in a place called Barkerville. Barkerville is a historic mining town in uh, in Wells or Barkerville, BC. About 200 kilometers southeast of Prince George, up in the mountains. And it was the site of the Caribou Gold Rush. Anyway, I got an acting job there. I was playing one of the judges and doing that. So you put on educational sort of programming. But it was a good gig. It paid well. And it was steady. I got for six months out of the year, I, I was I was acting, right? So it was this artistic community full of, you know, other musicians, actors. And it's an amazing place. It's actually the area where the Arts World Festival happens uh, every year. Bruises from I'll Be All Right. Very powerful song about domestic violence. Uh, I was curious as to, you know, why you decided to write a song like this, because it's one of those subjects that, you know, that usually has a strong connection with people wanting to, to write something like that. Right. I mean, and, you know, all my writing is, it's hard to say where it comes from. Like, I mean, obviously, you know, I don't go into a song um, thinking, oh, I've got something really important to say for the most part. My process, it just all sort of comes out like, you know, so I'll come up with a tune and, and, and then put lyrics to it that that fit. You know, for me, domestic violence, like I, I haven't experienced anything like that personally. But I have friends who have been in situations that are just horrible. Standing from the outside, it's like I can't 
an act to change, right? I, I can't change their lives. They, you know, they have to act on themselves, right? So for me, it, it was just writing a song about how, you know, I want to break you up. You know, how can I get you out if I could be the vehicle to help you get out of this? How can I do that? You know, all my writing is, it, it's like, it's all personal stuff, not necessarily directly related to me, but I always write about, all my songs are about relationships. Some of my stuff, personal stuff, some of other people's personal stuff, but everything is about a relationship. You know, and it's, it's therapeutic. Like, for me, it's, it's, it's a therapy session. My writing is always, it's always really, um, I know, I write really emotional songs for myself because that's how I get it. I get it off my chest. That's, that's just how I do it. I mean, going back to my first album, The Price We Pay, her solo album, you know, that was inspired by a friend of mine who committed suicide. Like, that whole album happened solely as a homage. You know, even one of the songs on there is, is one of one of her, her, her songs. She was my best friend, and, you know, but it's suicide. It was horrible. You know, so in order to get through that, I just started writing. Well, that's probably a good lead into getting back into the album, because I want to play the title track, which... Again, it, I sense is another track that, that, that you know, that, that probably weaves in a little bit of personal stuff and other people's stuff, talking about different situations that people mm-hmm. go through. Can you talk a little bit about that? Certainly, yeah. So the, the track's uh, called I'll, I'll Be All Right. And, and you know, it, again, it's the same thing. It's getting through, you know, getting through loss and, and, and you know, having the support of friends and family to, you know, get you through, right? And, it, I mean, the song starts... You know, personally, I mean, it's about my father. My my father passed away when I was six months old on, on Christmas Eve. He was killed in a car accident, and you know, like, so I mean, I never, I mean, I never knew my father. You know, or you know, goes into again the loss of uh, a friend, suicide. It, it's a hopeful song. Like, I don't. <laughs> it's hard because you write all these. I write all these dramatic, not dramatic, but like serious topics. Like all of my stuff is really about sort of ugly things, and you're trying to go. Oh well, this is just so depressing. You know, I mean, I love depressing music personally. Like, I will sit in a car and just cry over, you know, really good depressing songs. But not everyone's into that. <laughs> you know, you try and make a, you know, turn a, a sad song into a hopeful song, right? So it's, you know, I'll be all right. Let's talk about the the making of the album. And I think you uh, you have your own studio, right? And we do. Yeah, I'm actually sitting in it right now. This is my uh, studio at home uh, called Vinyl Deck Studios. So I mean, and it's luckily lucky that I have it, especially now. But yeah, I built a studio in, in Victoria when I was down there, and uh, we moved it up here. Does that mean you have your own studio? Most of what you do now is is done yourself. All of it. But yeah, so the making of the album just basically happened virtually in this, literally in this room. And I was going on tour. I was going on tour in 2019 in September. We were heading out on on the road, just on a quick little tour west from Prince George. I'm like, well, I haven't written an album so long. And for me, it's like, I don't write, I don't generally write through the year. I, I sit down and, and write an album. Like, basically, um, short of the song Standing Strong on I'll Be All Right, the album was written in three weeks. Okay, so then from there, I went on and I recorded them. And luckily, I'm sitting in my, my home studio that I can do that. Going from the control room to the to the studio, going back and forth, and and, and uh, recording tracks, and and then putting it all together. William Kuklis is our special guest, as well as being a singer songwriter, he's also an actor, and the, I'm very excited about this because I loved Lego when I was a kid, and he's just been in a Lego mini series. That must have been lots of fun, was it? 
yeah, being a Lego series, I, I was a huge Lego fan as a kid, and I, you know, and, and my son's doing the same thing now. As an actor, like an, an actor in Prince George, it's really hard. It's hard because I'm not in Vancouver anymore. I'm not as close to uh, the scene, quote unquote, as you would be, right? So I don't get a lot of um, many opportunities, or at least certainly I don't have as many opportunities that are feasible. So this one, um, I have an agent in Vancouver, and um, and I get these um, voice work auditions. Um, I can just audition for them and, and send, send my voice audition down. And this one was for, for Lego. I managed to land it. So it's Lego Jurassic World, The Legend of Isla Nubla, in which I play Dennis Nedry. And if anyone knows Jurassic Park, the movie, Dennis Nedry was playing, played by Wayne Knight. He's the, essentially the villain of the film trying to steal the dinosaur embryos. You get these auditions all the time. Right? I mean, you know, I get, oh, you could be the voice of Pam. Pam cooking spray. You know, stuff like that. And this one was Lego. And I'm like, how can I not? I mean, this is amazing. Like, if I could get Lego, like, geez, I'd be pretty cool dad. That's Jan Hall in discussion with William Kuklis from a show that we carried on Monday evening, Folk Roots Radio, here on 93.1. We'll have the second part of that interview in a moment here on After 9. The Tourism Prince George Visitor Information Center has reopened. Health and safety measures have been developed for the center, including an occupancy limit of four parties or six individuals, limited gift shop inventory, and plexiglass barriers where physical distancing isn't possible. The Visitor Information Center is open Monday through Friday from 8.30 to 4.30 and Saturdays from 10 to 4. The Tourism Prince George Visitor Information Center at 1300 First Avenue, reopened to serve you. Library users in the heart are able to return to the library as the Nichaco branch is into Phase 3. Limited browsing, limited access to computers and internet, and hold pickup service are all available with the Nichaco branch open Monday through Thursday from 10 to 6 and Friday from 10 to 2. The Bob Harkins branch has also reopened with limited service. For full details and to get access to a dozen virtual programs each week, visit pgpl.ca. The Explorer Exploration Place has launched their Nature Exchange online. The Nature Exchange provides family-friendly activities for the summer, and a weekly Nature Exchange challenge can be found on the new Exploration Place Facebook group, as well as on their website. The Exploration Place remains closed due to the COVID-19 pandemic, but you can follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and see their animal ambassadors on their YouTube channel. More information and links to those pages are available at theexplorationplace.com. The Ekra Kitchen is open for lunch. Takeout meals are available between 11.30 and 1, Monday through Friday. Diners are allowed in one at a time through the east entrance, with all physical distancing rules being strictly followed. Meals are just $6. Correct change is appreciated. The menu for the month is posted with some frozen meals, also available as well as soup and a bun and pie. It's the Elder Citizens Recreation Center Kitchen. Open weekdays for lunch from 11.30 to 1 on 10 between Vancouver and Winnipeg. Thank you for tuning in and staying tuned to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. And now part two of the interview Prince George's William Kuklis did with Jan Hall from the nationally syndicated program Folk Roots Radio. So we're living in these strange COVID times. I think you've been keeping yourself busy with some live performances you haven't really probably had much chance to perform because as well as your solo work now, you're also, I think, part of a, a trio as well, The Ebbs. Tell us a little bit about that. 
so yeah, I mean, obviously, pandemic pandemic times, it's hard to get a gig. So uh, for myself, so I mean, I've been doing um, doing some uh, what I'm calling live music quickies. So uh, you know, I've just been playing a song every day, unannounced. I just pop on and do live do a live song. So in terms of the ebbs, so it's a it's a group that we formed up here with a couple of uh, Joseph Joshe and Scott or Finn Scott Neff, who's a fiddle player. Joe is in a band called Trundle. I'm not sure if you heard Joe with Trundle, but Trundle's out of Canmore, Alberta. Yeah, Joe and I started this band called the Ebbs, and, and we've um, we went on tour for a bit in September before all of this horror happened, and uh, we just been trying to keep ourselves busy as best we can so we're actually in the process of um releasing our first single as the ebbs we're lucky enough to uh do a little house concert here uh, a few weeks ago which was like a nice socially distanced big yard by invitation only kind of event so we did play one live show together uh recently which is really fun it was really fun and and greatly missed you know for me it's uh, luckily enough i, I may have the studio so you know i can still do I'm doing some work for other people, like just digitally and, and things like that. So I do have, you know, an outlet to do other stuff and record my own stuff if, if, if something happens. But for people who are, you know, just artists without those opportunities, it's, it's, it's brutal. And I don't know. It's, it's hard. So support local musicians, please. Well, that's certainly I, a lot of the time I, on this show, I say, look, you know, don't just stream people's music. They don't make any money that way. Most exactly. people buy their music, and then you really yeah. will uh, help them you out know, a great deal. It's truly appreciated, honestly. It's uh, you know, and like I said, I'm lucky because I have other outlets. But a lot of my friends, musician friends, are just suffering hard, and uh, it's it's tough. It's funny too. Like I find the pandemic is is you'd think you'd have all this time to be productive, and I don't know about other people, but I feel like it's because there's so much time you don't have that pressure. To write and I write really well under pressure. I haven't been productive at all. Like I've been working on other people's stuff and, and doing specialty work here and there, but in putting together some of the edge stuff. But it feels like wasted time. This yeah. pandemic. I know when it's all over, we'll say, "Oh, I wish I'd done this," and I wish I'd I know done that. Yeah, I had all the time in the world to right. do all this stuff that I never did. Yeah, yeah. No, that's crazy. It's been great to talk to you today. If you want to learn more about the music of William Kuklis, go to williamkuklis.com. We're going to finish with one of my favorite songs from the new album. It's entitled Standing Strong, which I think is a good, a good song to finish with. It's a good message in a song like this. It's not about pandemics, though. It's about wildfires that, unfortunately, British Columbia has uh, had more than its fair share of in the last few years. Tell us a little bit about this song. Um, okay, so Standing Strong, I actually I wrote it in 2017. So this is the one song on the album that was written before I wrote the rest of the album. It was an, uh, an older song. So I'm in central British Columbia, I'm in Prince George, and then we, have, we were suffering uh, an insanely dry season and wildfires were just rampant in the province. And it was really sad, and people were getting evacuated. Basically, the, the northern area would be evacuated here. So one day I was going to the, um, went to the grocery store to get some bananas things, and um, I drove into the parking lot, and it was just packed with people and just swarming and couldn't find a parking spot so you know eventually i got into the store and there were no bananas the shelves were bare and you're going what is going on like this is crazy and then you kind of go oh 
geez, everyone had just been evacuated from the Williams Lake area, which is about 300 north. So all of these people were evacuees, basically living at the time in the parking lot of the, the grocery store. You know, I got to talking to a few people, and, you know, it's a really sad story. It's a great folks who a tragedy. You know, as I'm continuing my little shopping trip, I, I overheard someone say, well, today, today all we're praying for is the rain. And that's the first line of this song. And I wrote this song that day. I wrote the song, recorded it, and put together a little video. Because I want, you know, I mean, obviously you want to do something whatever you can. But that song was written, you know, in three hours. The video was put together. The music was written and recorded, and then I put it out sort of online as a as a fundraiser. So that was that was the story behind that. That's a great song. I had to ask you, any pandemic songs coming? You know, you talk about you. I know we just had a conversation about the fact that you didn't feel uh, motivated Productive. enough to be doing anything. Yeah, but I, I no, just I'm, I'm just as all my stuff, you and Jen. I'm just trying to keep it light. You know, I, I don't want to be too heavy. So I'm trying to avoid the pandemic songs at this point. Well, we have a great song to finish with. Thank you so much. This is William Cookless with Standing Strong from his great new album, I'll Be Alright, and I'm Chan Hall. Today I'm praying for the rain Hear that thunder roll again I wonder how I stay I wonder how I turn away I wonder if it comes How far we'll have to run away We smelled the smoke Packed up our lives But kept up hope We drove for miles and miles Through wreckage, tears, hopeless fears And denials It doesn't matter if we get Kicked down in the ground We we'll hold each other in strength without a sound together still standing strong. Where is our home? Where do we stand? How are the horses? How is the land? Tell my mother, tell my father We're standing strong with empty hands I'm ready to start, I'm ready to fight To get these shovels back in the sand Doesn't matter if we get kicked down in the ground We'll hold each other in strength Without a sound Together still Standing strong
That is William Kukla standing strong here on 93.1, along with uh, his interview with Jan Hall from the nationally syndicated program Folk Roots Radio, which can be heard Monday evenings at 7 and Thursday evenings at 8 here on 93.1. That'll pretty much wrap it for today's edition of After 9. Make sure you tune in tomorrow. We will have Front Burner from CBC News. And, of course, tomorrow being Friday, we'll have the Friday panel with some hot topics. After 9 is a daily presentation of CFIS-FM. After 9 is produced by Alan Wishart, Reg Fair, and Nathan Gita, with guest producer Neil Godbu of the Prince George Citizen. Additional contributors include CBC News and the National Campus and Community Radio Association. For a rebroadcast of today's program, check out the podcast link at cfisfm.ca. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email cfisfm at yahoo.ca. You're listening to CFIS-FM Prince George, a not-for-profit community radio station broadcasting with 500 watts of power at 93.1 on the FM dial. CFIS-FM is owned and operated by the Prince George Community Radio Society.